Hello, everybody. Welcome to Scripturosity. <laughs> Not Travelocity. Or come to the wrong website. Yeah. If, Although the, we can look up fares for you if you need us to. I mean, with a small surcharge. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it'll only be, you know, 50% of, of what you pay for on the, the plane ticket. That's, that's a terrible rate. Hey, anyway, I'm Scott Powell. And I'm Father Peter Mosset. We're the lanky guys. And we're so excited that you... So, so excited. ...that you've joined us today. So excited. It's been rainy all morning, and then the sun came out, and... Um, the leaves are slowly starting to change. I think we're going to... their golden rod. Yeah, yeah. And so it's it's um, it's um like you could sing the song, The sun will come out tomorrow. Later today. <laughs> Big bottom dollars. Rumor has it it's supposed to snow by the end of the week. I know, man. Is that what, true? Is it, that Do you buy that? Dude, I, I went to weatherspark.com, which is my favorite weather <laughs> you service. You always have a new favorite weather app. <laughs> oh, you and Matt Botker. No, dude, Weatherspark re- doesn't have an app, but man, the online experience of like yeah? the amount of data, because it's all about really? with weather. It's about how much data can you possibly get into a single location. Is it? Oh my gosh, dude. It has like every temperature that you can find. And, really? it, and it's all there. And then it puts the forecast and then up and down. And then it has radar. Like it really is pretty phenomenal for an online. Um, What's uh, it called again? Weather Spark. Weather Spark. Yeah, okay. weatherspark.com. Cool. So um, it's it's okay. pretty sweet. So we're super stoked today because um, well, guess what? The weather is uh, shifting. Sparking. It's, oh. sp- it's sparking. I was going to try to make some sort of smooth transition. We learned about. Um, uh, we learned about that, and I'm taking a class on musicals, and 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 when you know how when they're start they start to talk in a musical, and they're like, yeah, so I'm I'm fancy free, and I'm I'm feeling good, and it's amazing. They call it a sound <laughs> dissolve. Really? Yeah, sound dissolve is when it's, oh. it, you start speaking, and then the music starts to swell, and you start singing. Wow. So, okay. I, I wish we could do that. Sound on the, dissolve. Sound dissolve. You're dissolving into the music, though. That sounds like it. That sounds counterintuitive to me. Yeah, I know. Uh, me too. I mean, especially since I'm an audio engineer. Mm. Audio engineer. As I, audio engineer. <laughs> I can't talk, but that's all right. That's okay. Well, today, not today, but this week is going to be the feast of the exaltation of the cross. Exaltation. Lift high the cross. The love of Christ proclaim. I actually really like that hymn. Let's not ruin me, it. Me Let's too. I was it. actually trying to sing it. Well I kind with of you. was too. I don't want to ruin that though. I don't, yeah. don't want to make. Stephanie hate it. <laughs> uh, well, Stephanie you, always criticizes our singing, dude. Rightly so, because guess rightly what? so, <laughs> because 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 we're terrible singers. No, no, no. Oh. When, when you encounter something that's just so phenomenal, you kind of have to set yourself against it or before it. Either you're for it or against you're it. You're right. And our next excellence. CD is going to come out in a couple of weeks, and it's going to top the charts, dude. It, that's kind of like the Homestar Runner CD. Did you ever get that one? <laughs> no, there was a CD. Oh yeah, come. On Fuga Gods, said, "Come on, Fuga Gods." Oh, Come yeah. on, what? Fuga Gods. We should move on. <laughs> All right. Our first reading on the Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross is from not Nehemiah, which is the reading I looked up originally. <laughs> no, you didn't. Really? I just it's NM, and I had to oh. think it, about it being numbers. Of course, it's numbers, but it's from Numbers, the Book of Numbers, everyone's favorite book. Yep, there's lots of numbers in that book. And there are not as many numbers as you'd think in that book, as the name suggests. There's a census at the beginning of the book and a census at the end of the book. That's it. Man. There's a different Hebrew name for the book. We'll talk about that in a second. Okay, so Numbers chapter 21, verses 4, B, B. through 9. Did, were you about to say what the Hebrew name for the book of Numbers no, is? No, I just made a, I just made a sound. I don't even know what I was... Mid-debar. Mid-debar. Yeah, we'll translate that in a minute. Okay. okay. Um, which I like. I like four B. Whenever I hear the the word four B, though, I always think of an apartment. I was just gonna say an apartment <laughs> in the project. Four. I don't oh. know why I think of that. I don't either. Okay, and the responsorial psalm is Psalm seventy-eight. <laughs> was that weird? No, not at all. That wasn't weird <laughs> okay. in the slightest. <laughs> psalm seventy-eight. Let's move on. You know what this this show really is. Is it's just it's free digressions with the linky guys. <laughs> okay. Okay. So it's Psalm uh, seventy-eight. Um, 1 BC mm-hmm. to 1 BC. Yeah, I, I don't even know, man. Okay. That's the, 1 BC. That's and the responsorial, if you read it, it says C7B. It's <laughs> very confusing. Yeah. Okay, so 1 BC. <laughs> 1 BC with C7B to 2, <laughs> 34 to 35, 36 to 37, and 38. Good. What is the strophe? <laughs> um, 7B. Okay. Okay. Is it? Is that true? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Okay, good. Our second reading comes from the book of Philippians, not Philemon, 
And, Again, and, there's lots of readings this week that you could. Their abbreviations could be mistaken for other biblical books. Yeah, and so Phil is Philippians, and and this is what happens is like if you read it too often, you Philippian out, and oh, it's kind of crazy. I could see on your uh, in your eyes that you were about to do that. <laughs> so Philippians chapter two verses six through eleven, the famous canonic hymn. Which, which is, we all love. Which is awesome. We will describe to you what canotic means. Absolutely. It's from the verb kenosis. Which and means gospel, to pour out. Yes. Or to empty, literally. Um, it's like the bucket, the ice bucket challenge, the biblical bucket challenge. <laughs> the canotic challenge. The canotic challenge. Dude, the canotic challenge. I the like this. challenge. What is the canotic? We're going to have to come back. We'll, we'll get back okay. to that. John 3, 13 to 17. Not very long. Short little passage there. Yeah, it, it is. And it's really fun to read in the original <laughs> Greek ordering of the words, which I was doing to Scott earlier. And He just kept doing it. And uh, you, somebody once brought up, they were like, you know what, fathers? I mean, father and Scott, why don't <laughs> why don't you guys like have a conversation before you do the podcast? And that's the whole thing is that we... <laughs> you have no idea what we, this would be like if we were just seeing each other for the first time in the day. Yeah, it would be like, you guys would, you would tune out. Maybe it would be better. I guess we don't know. But we do need to get lunch, so... Yeah, it's not a conversation we're gonna have. So, okay, let's, let's jump in. Let's jump into numbers. Um, when you think about the book of Numbers, three, four, one, two, nine, eight, people might not get super seven, excited about four, it. Forty-two. Okay, we're Thanks. jumping. We're jumping into numbers. Oh, you're just throwing up numbers. That's, <laughs> yeah, very good. Okay, but it's one of those books that we don't really talk about that much, right? Numbers. I'm actually what is is numbers in in the Torah. Yeah, the Pentateuch. Okay, the Pentateuch. So I'm, I'm actually doing a class in the next six weeks on the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And there'll be a whole night, whole class devoted to numbers. I love numbers. There'll be a whole class devoted to Leviticus as well. Oh, dude, that's awesome. Take that. Because I think these are great books. And here's the thing, though. Um, people don't read numbers or Leviticus, for that matter, very often. Not at all. But they're actually full of some of the most important stories for understanding the New Testament. And I think, um, gosh, I had it written down here. But there is a Jesus quotes the books of Leviticus and Numbers, so, it's some ridiculous amount of times. So so often when he quotes the Old Testament, he's quoting these books. And so when we have some you know ignorance of these books, it's 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 troublesome. So here's the thing about Numbers that I want to say. So we call it Numbers from the the Greek interpretation of the book. That's not the original Hebrew name. And I, I like the original Hebrew name better because numbers is kind of misleading. That's, beca- you, that's because you're a uh, you're a hipster and you like to do everything no, the hard way. I don't. No, here's the thing. Numbers. When you, you hear that there's a book called Numbers, yeah. does that sound like the book that you really want to sit down and read? Oh, Numbers. I mean, yeah. I did really like the movie Pi. There was a movie called Pi? Yeah. You probably liked Inner Space as well. <laughs> dude, yeah, I love yeah, that out. Space. Dude, did you just drop inner space on me, man? <laughs> yeah, Holy cow, man. Okay. I have an instant uh, re- relationship. Your face of, was wonderful. Dude, like, I think Inner Space and Flight of the Navigator came out the Flight same. Flight of the Navigator was the other one I was trying to think of. <laughs> I was just trying to think of that one. Okay, okay. so so I don't anyway. really necessarily, I mean, honestly, no, with, in Scripture, I don't want to read numbers. I'm because you're be like, honest. oh my gosh, it's a bunch. Of, so, and it is misleading because, again, it starts off with the census. It ends with the census. But the book really isn't about censuses. Censuses? Well, yeah, how do you pluralize census? Sensei. <laughs> Sensei. <laughs> Sensei. Um, it's I, not I about, think Genesis, you could have called numbers a lot more. I mean, I there's literally probably more, more, numbers. yeah, genealogies and sort of things in Genesis than there are in numbers. Yep. The Hebrew name, it's remember I mentioned it's Mid Debar, which translated means in the wilderness. So it's it's not a book about censuses. Debar in the wilderness. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's a book not about censuses. It's a book continuing the narrative that started in, in the book of Exodus. Oh. So it's a book all about their wanderings for the 40 years. What is actually happening? What's taking place? There's there's more stories there and narrative and action and good guys and bad guys than you'd kind of expect for a, from a book that we sometimes sort of overlook, right? Yeah. It's a great book. It's really powerful. Um, if you're not in Boulder, I've, I'm planning on actually recording this class and I might put it up on our Facebook site, just periodically put some of the classes up on the Aquinas Institute Facebook site. So you got to friend us if you want to hear some of the classes. But it's a really, really interesting book. And it's one of those things I, I wish Catholics would sort of rediscover and Christians in general that we would go back because this stuff forms the foundation for what Jesus is going to do. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, like we're going to read it in the gospel today. Yeah. I mean, like if you don't know the story, you're you're, you know, as they say, ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ, but ignorance of, of in the 
wilderness. In the desert or in the wilderness? In the wilderness. In the well, wilderness. Well, yeah, there's debatable about how you could translate that. Okay, that's kind of like that book, Into the Wild. That's just a little bit different. A though. little bit. But but again, this is this is so important. These motifs about what happens to Israel in the wilderness in particular. So we all sort of see, I think, I hope, the importance of the book of Exodus. But remember, Exodus doesn't give you the whole story. It continues on, yeah. especially in Numbers. Um, and the motif of them being in the wilderness is crucial for understanding what the Gospels are all about. And the fathers of the church looked at this because, remember, Jesus is going to have his own period in the wilderness, his own mid-debar period. At the very beginning of the Gospels, when he's establishing who he is and what he's going to do in his ministry on earth, he starts in the wilderness, right? Well, it's, a, it's the very first moment of his wilderness it's, after, after his baptism. After his baptism, he immediately goes there. So his life actually mirrors what Israel did in the Old Testament. So if you understand what the gospel writers are saying, you can only really understand what they're getting at if you understand the story. Remember, the Holy Family came out of Egypt, just like Israel came out of Egypt. And then their son goes back into the wilderness for 40 days, just like Israel went back into the wilderness for 40 days. And the New Testament writers pick up on this, you know, the crossing of the Red Sea being like baptism, the eating of the manna from heaven, being like the Eucharist, you know, all of this imagery and the things that Jesus is tested by and tempted by mirror the things that Israel was tested by and tempted by in the wilderness, except that Jesus is perfectly um, obedient where Israel was not. So it's a really, really neat book. And just a quick, tiny little crash course on the book of Numbers. There's really two good ways I think you can organize the book of Numbers. One is based on where they are, right? Um, So geographically speaking. So uh, you can divide the book of Numbers pretty evenly according to three areas, three geographic spots where they actually spend their time. Okay. So um, back in, in the last time, if you're following the story, mm-hmm. the last time Israel actually moved somewhere or traveled was way back in Exodus chapter 19. It was the last time that they were in motion. So for 56 chapters of the Bible, they've stayed at the foot of Mount Sinai. That's a long time at Sinai. It's a long time, which tells you about the importance of it. So... 50, so Exodus 19 is when they showed up at Mount Sinai. They're there for 56 more chapters from Exodus into, into all of Leviticus and the first 10 chapters of Numbers. They're at Mount Sinai, which is, which is really important. So this location of Mount Sinai, um, you know, and, and scholars, there's about 12 different sites that scholars claim is actually Mount Sinai. So, you know, there's a little Which bit, one do you choose? Well, um, not the one on the Sinai Peninsula. Okay. The other one. Which is over on uh, uh, near. I, I just remember, I'd have to look at him. I remember Tom Smith going through and talking about one particular one. Yeah, with I side with Tom fences. Smith on that. I, I do too. Because he, it's he's a safe one to side on. Yeah, <laughs> So um yeah so so um let's see. Yeah, so number starts off, they're at Mount Sinai, they've received the law, you know, they've kind of messed up with the golden calf, all this stuff happens, and then. They're kind of obedient. They're trying to be good. And then about chapter 10, they move. They're on the move for the first time in 56 chapters in the Bible. They go to a place called Kadesh Barnea. And this is a place where a lot of disobedience happens. So once they move, once they leave Mount Sinai, the primary place where they are is this place of disobedience and action and literally a turning away from God. So for the first 10 chapters, it's like they're facing Mount Sinai, which is where God appeared to them. Mm -hmm. And then for... The whole middle part of the book until chapter thirty-three, they're facing away from God. Uh, not, not. It's until they're, chapter twenty-one. Well, they're kind of moving away from the work of God at Sinai. They are exactly right. Till until chapter twenty-one, and then ta- in chapter twenty-one, they make kind of a theological turn back to God, and they realize, oh my gosh, we've really kind of blown it, and we've done a lot of terrible things. Where we step into the story is in chapter twenty-one, which is where Israel begins to realize their sin and realize that they've actually been pretty lousy, and they begin to come back to God and ask him for forgiveness. And really, the the last part of the book of Numbers focuses on the next generation of Israelites, who are going to be the one who actually get to claim the promised land after all the Israelites who were unfaithful in the golden calf and all that after they die. Does that make sense? Yeah. Does that does. make any sense? I, I, it's it's a long book. There's a lot going on. That's kind of a, a well, quick that, little summary. Does, if, that, I hope it makes sense. That gives us a topographic map of where we are. Kind I mean, of. Yeah. I mean, uh, just to get a sense. Okay, you know what they've they've been facing. They wandered away, but now all of a sudden something something's going to happen in the reading today. <laughs> yeah. That's going to that's going to yeah no that's going to that's going to bite Israel in the butt and really kind of get them to um. They are not bit in the butt. <laughs> it actually says specifically. <laughs> it does it really? Yeah. Doesn't what, it? Um 
We have sinned. Um, bit uh, the bit the people. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah. never mind. Yeah, yeah. I guess we don't know where that happened. Yeah, dude. Uh, let's just let's just say the Lord nipped it in the bud. Ah, <laughs> very good. Okay. Um, a little bit of context though for this. So let, let's actually okay. Let's look at this really quick. Okay. I have a lot of biblical windows open on my computer. Okay. Uh, it <laughs> says when their patience with their patience worn out by the journey, the people began to complain again. It doesn't say began. I, I threw that. The people complain. They've not begun. They've been complaining for a long time. Yeah. The people complained against God and Moses, saying, "Why have you brought us up from Egypt to die in this desert, where there's no food or water, and where we are disgusted by this wretched food?" It's actually a pretty. This is an intense moment. One thing that's that's just happened. Um, there were a couple stories prior to this in which Israel had kind of come across different nations and different sort of nomadic tribes that they went to battle with, and they were victorious. Just about a chapter before, they came across the nation of Edom, and Edom is actually a family. This is their, this is a descendants of Esau. Remember Jacob and Esau? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they came across the nation of Edom, and God made it clear, God through Moses, made it clear they are not to fight with this nation. Don't, don't fight them. And they actually avoided them, and they had to go kind of around Edom, and the people were mad, and they were kind of ticked off. They're like, wait a second, are we a bunch of wusses? Like, we beat the snot out of these other nations. Why can't we fight with Edom? And God was like, no, you are not to fight them. They are your brothers. Da, 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 da. And so in context, it seems like a lot of their frustration is that, look, we want to fight. We want to show how powerful we are. We oh. want to show, which really ties me back into last week's readings. Remember that? Yeah. Was it last week or a couple weeks ago? Yeah, it was, in, it was two weeks ago where Jeremiah, remember, his message was, look, don't fight against the Babylonians. You, oh, yeah. There's a time for fighting and there's a time to not fight. And you are a people who are not just going to be based on your warfare. You're not a people who are supposed to be identified by your military power. You are a people who are identified by me. And if I tell you not to fight, do not fight. And if you do happen to fight and you happen to win, it's only because I've interceded on your behalf because you are a nobody. That's kind of one of the messages I think God wants to get in their heads. And so he's like, you are not to fight. And they're sort of annoyed by this. Their patience is worn thin. They've been wandering in the wilderness for a long time. And now they're like, oh, my gosh, we should go back to Egypt. They've said this multiple times. Yeah. We got to go back to Egypt because at least we had good food there. But when they say we detest this miserable food, I mean, think of what's actually going on here. The f what is the food, by the way, that they're disgusted with? Uh, they're the quail and the manna, the, and the rock from the and the water from the rock. Yeah, the water, the quail, and the manna. I mean, I, I'm focusing specifically on the manna, which comes down from heaven. I mean, what it seems like this isn't just we're really sick of banana bread and manicotti and <laughs> all that stuff, all the puns that you can make from manna. It's not just saying that. It's literally you see the people rejecting God's grace. Well, yeah, it, it's like this. I, I was trying to understand this, and I saw an advertisement for. Um, for power bars, and uh, <laughs> okay. and it had like this through hiker. It had this picture of this through hiker, yeah. and they were like, and the and, and it said, um, "I will puke if I eat one more power bar." <laughs> We've and all it, been there, and it, you know, because because like you're packing your thing, and like yeah. as you're trying to do it, like you just get disgusted because it's the same thing over and over again. Yeah. But it's also it's uh, so it's not only this variety varietal thing. It's like because it's nutritious, it's enough to get you by. Yeah. But it's it's this uh, which is what what. <sighs> what I originally would see mm. from that power bar kind of commercial thing, but it's saying, I don't want to be dependent because why Ooh. would you, why would you actually go and, why would you go and fight this, this community? Cause mm. guess what? They got some grub, dude. I bet you they have livestock. Oh, interesting. You know what? They, they have, I've never thought about that. They've got livestock. They probably have some things wow. planted. And so, th so they're like, man, let's go fight them and we can win and we can have, we can get rid of this wow. dependence. Cause because if you're a strong person, feeling dependent, I mean, is just horrible. Wow. But in, unless your heart is attuned to something else. Yeah. Wow, that's really good. So that's, and you know, the manna, oh, I, I, I need to put myself back in the Exodus story. In a certain sense, the manna was kind of a punishment. Yeah. It was still God's grace. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. But I mean, he gave it to them once they were complaining and whining and they wanted to go home. I, God, I think God actually had something better for them. I think they were supposed to actually make it to the promised land much, much sooner than they 40 did. 40 days. 40 days, Not 40 right? Not years. 40 years. But they complained and they whined and they rejected what God was doing. And so he said, oh, fine, I'll give you this this stuff. And manna, you know what manna literally means? No. It means what is it? That's lit the literal meaning of manna in Hebrew. So they all looked at it and they're like, what is it? <laughs> and that was what it was called. So that gives you an insight into kind of what this stuff was like. It was weird. 
and probably not the tastiest stuff. So they've got this stuff, but it's still God's grace. They've rejected it. And there's this kind of amazing moment. It says, in punishment, the Lord sent among the people seraph serpents, which bit the people so that many of them died. And then finally, so after they were being bit and killed by snakes from God, the people finally came to Moses and said, okay, we've sinned in complaining against the Lord. We get that from the snakes and we complaining against you. So please pray to the Lord, pray the Lord to take the serpents from us. I I kind of am intrigued by that line, intercede for us, Moses. What's Moses' job? Moses is not just a leader. He's not just a a guy who's in charge. He's not the front of the line. He's the intercessor. That's what he does for a living. He's an intercessor. And so they're saying, Moses, do your job. Intercede for us. They don't even see—there's this kind of—I don't know if it's a misguided one or a holy humility on their part where they don't actually feel like they can approach God because they've sinned against him. So they say, Moses, please intercede for us. And actually set, help set this right. There's, there, there, maybe it's a holy humility. I don't know. But God does relent. And what do you have? Um, so Moses prayed for the people and the Lord said to Moses, make a seraph and mount it on a pole. And if anyone who have been bitten at it and, it, and if anyone, and if any who have been bitten look at it, they will live. So Moses accordingly made a bronze serpent. He mounted it on a pole. And whenever anyone who had been bitten by the serpent looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Anyone who had suffered this pain when they looked at the at the root of that pain, at the cause of that pain, they were brought back to life. If they looked at the cause of suffering, the suffering, the means that actually brought the suffering is what gave them life. See, this is what's so crazy about this moment because you're going like, so basically, I mean, like you just boil it down for a second. You're going, so, so they were complaining against God and so God smote them and basically um, jacked them up with some serpents. People started dying. <laughs> That's what and the then, Septuagint translation says. <laughs> that's that's my, that's the must translation. Musty must. And um, and so 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 they start dying, and then he's like, okay, so now look at so now look at a serpent. It's mm. a really kind of a confusing. Yeah, it's a I'll confusing say. punishment because you're going like, why would you actually, Lord? What is your reasoning? But you, which is actually what you have to look at. Yeah. What the what is the nature of punishment? Yeah. Hmm. As a confessor, you have to ask that question because somebody comes to you and they say, you know, forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. Um, I've done this sin. Hmm. And you say, okay, well, now are you willing to accept your punishment? Hmm. Um, and and we call that penance. Yeah. <laughs> Which is interesting because penance really is, like if, if any of you have ever seen the movie The Mission, you have the Robert De Niro char- yeah. character and he has the bag of armor. Hmm. And it's this prophetic thing yeah. of this weight that he's carrying. Yes. And and finally he gets set free from it by one of the indigenous. Like they yep. they recognize that he and and they actually literally set him free of it. Yes. Um, the this punishment to where they actually have to look at the serpent is actually what frees them, which is such an interesting thing because the punishment yeah. is a recognition that it well a that it comes from God. Yes. But it puts them back in dependence again. Dependence. Yeah. What are they and and yeah yeah they, they have to depend on God. They're saying that the, the, they're like they, they have to depend on the thing that actually tortured that that how do I I'm not I'm feeling lost for words here. They're they're dependent on God. Yes, but specifically they're dependent. God has asked them to be dependent on the very cause of their suffering, on we, the thing that that they're suffering from because they're in the middle of the desert and he's saying this is for a purpose so trust me again that the the, this punishment of this 40 years in the desert that you're experiencing is for something that will bring you to life once you look at these 40 years that this is not just about you yes it's it's a larger prophetic gesture yeah. that has an eternal consequence. It has an eschatological character, yeah. meaning it points towards the end times, but it also has a very, very particular and significant prophetic character in the immediate moment. Yes. Which is saying, like, recognize now, but this is actually yeah. something that's going to help you understand what what authentic redemption from death really is. Yeah. That's good. I, so, hope, I hope that makes sense. Does that make sense to you? I think so. This is a complicated one. It does make sense to me. I'm trying to think of, you know, I want it to be in this nice, pretty little package, which. Well, it's. It is. Let me package it up for you. Okay. God actually punishes us, but it is for a reason for our redemption. 
Yes. And we actually have to allow God the space, not just to be some sort of nice, happy, smiley face God right. that's going to say everything's going to be okay and it's going to be health and wealth if if I engage you, God. But the reality is, is that sometimes the things that come into our life are for a purpose and they're healing, but we need to acknowledge and allow God the space to have that in our lives, which is really advanced spiritually. That is not milk. That is meat. It is. And it's very difficult. And and it's I don't want to get ahead of myself yet. But the key is that the thing that is, how did you say it? The thing that is actually going to make us healthy was the very thing that, how do I say, why am I, I'm, okay, let's move on. We'll come back to this. We got to tie it all together. Moving on. Okay, Psalm 78. Psalm 78 is actually, this is, this is great though. Psalm 78 is actually, uh, specifically, it's a Psalm about the Exodus story. So it's, and I love the, uh, the, the strophe. It says, do not forget the works of the Lord. You know, listen, my people, to my law, to my teaching, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open up my mouth in a parable. I will utter mysteries from of old. If you read through the Old Testament, the times that Israel falls into sin. Thank you. If you read through the Old Testament, the times that Israel falls into their most severe sin is when they forget. It's forgetfulness. That that's the heart of the problem in the church. It's forgetfulness. When we forget what God has done, when Israel forgot that God who brought them out of Egypt, that there were these miracles, the forgetfulness is what leads to dark times. I think we've become a very forgetful people as a church. There's been decades in which we haven't adequately taught the faith, taught the scriptures. We've seen the fruit of that. We're beginning to correct ourselves, I think, in a lot of ways. But even in our daily lives, and and this, again, points us back to this, when we forget those things that actually caused us suffering, when we forget the things that actually brought us here, when we lose sight of those things, that's when we're going to fall into complacency and bitterness and, I don't know, all all sorts of things, right? Because God is actually going to use... Here's the thing. Here's what I keep coming back to. And I'll just say it now instead of waiting. No, I'm not. I'm going to wait till the second reading. Yeah. I'm going to wait. Yep. I'm going to wait. What? Say, what do you, what do you got? N- never mind. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I was, so, I was, I was going to go and I was going to uh, quote from the, the beginning of the catechism, which is uh, all about catechesis, which is the... Um, the le- is is not being forgetful. That's it. That's so the heart of catechesis. That, that, that's that is catechesis. Catechesis means to re-echo, and yes. that's that's um. So it, it's just one of those things. That's that's why like I wanted to make a joke about it, but the, rea- <laughs> the reality is I want to make a joke about everything. Yeah. But, um. But the, the this forgetfulness that that's actually why we have song in the very that's, specific the, that's why we have the psalms. Do not forget the works of the Lord. Very, very good. And even we as Christians, we cannot forget even the Exodus event. I mean, that First Corinthians is all about this. Remember that First Corinthians ten, I believe, it's saying, "Don't you know that you were all baptized? You were all you all went through the Red Sea. You know, all of our fathers did this, and you did it in the baptism. You all ate the food from heaven, like the manna. You all drank from the supernatural drink. You've all done this stuff. Remember this in First Corinthians. First Corinthians is great, but it, it's this yes. group of Christians living in Corinth." who are basically trying to have it both ways. They're trying to live the Christian life, and they're trying to maintain their old pagan lifestyles as well and kind of have their feet in both worlds. And Paul says, hey, remember your ancestors, not the Hebrew ancestors, but your, they're, they're actually yours. And remember, if you remember the story, they were all, they all went through the Red Sea. They all saw this. They all ate the manna from heaven. They all saw the supernatural water from the rock. They all experienced this. And how many of them entered the promised land? None. Two. Oh, two, yeah. Joshua and Caleb. Most of them. And actually, it's it's an interesting word choice that Paul uses. He says, they all saw this. They all did this. They all experienced this. And most of them perished. Didn't matter. It's not, the sacraments aren't magic. And that's what he's trying to tell the Corinthians. Hey, you can't just live however you want to and treat the world however you feel like it and then show up at mass and receive the Eucharist and say, no, everything's fine. Because look, I go to mass every Sunday or I go to confession once in a while or I do the things that I'm supposed to do. Most of everybody in the Old Testament, they all went through the bread sea. They all ate the manna. They all saw the mighty works of God. But it wasn't magic. It didn't magically change their hearts because they weren't able to embrace the cross. They weren't able to embrace their suffering because had they embraced their suffering, they would have seen all of those experiences in a new light. Yeah. And that's why even the Exodus story, that's why this psalm is important for us because we have to remember our own story. Because if we forget that, then we're doomed to to fall into their same mistakes. Yep. Right? 
Absolutely. Okay. Which is a great lead into Philippians. Dude. Not Philemon. Philippian out, man. So this is great. This is the canonic hymn. He says, this is Paul. Kenosis means self-emptying. Self-emptying. Or Ph- to empty out. Yeah, or to empty. Um, is, Philippians. Is the glass half full or no. is the glass half empty? That one is only a fourth full. Or uh, is it three quarters empty? Mm, mm. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> so Philippians, um, this is this is this letter is unique. It's written to a community. So Philippi was a very important city in the Roman is it Empire. C- Caesarea Philippi? No, just Philippi. It was on the Mediterranean coast. The eye, not of, Caesarea Philippi. The eye of Philip. It Phil- was Philippi? it was founded by Philip of Macedon, the father of Alexander the Great. Oh, so it was a very important city. You it impressed was, me with your knowledge. Well, thank you. Philippi, by the time Paul gets there, it's it's grown and it's it's more diverse than this. Yeah. But it was originally founded as basically a retirement community for members of the Roman military. You, you, we've talked about this. Oh, I yeah, we like. have talked about this. I, I I haven't forgotten. Yeah. So it was... Uh, every time I think that I've forgotten, I feel like I'm going to be doomed to... Re- exactly. Don't forget. Uh, so it was basically a big Florida for vets of the Roman military, right? They all <laughs> oh, had their yeah, RVs right. and their Cadillacs and their <laughs> golf carts. They were cruising around. But they're kind of reaping the benefits of having given themselves and poured themselves out for Caesar, and for the Roman Empire and for the Roman military. And they've served and they've sacrificed and they've given everything, right? Yes. That's who is hearing this letter. And their families and then other people who are kind of, you know, it's a very patriotic place, I'm sure. So into that context, Paul is writing this. And he says, brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, King Jesus, which would have been a provocative thing to say in a very patriotic place where the only person with the name of Christ is Caesar. But he says, despite that, King Jesus... Though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. Like and, the Adam and Eve story? Yeah, that's exactly it. It's not understood or... Com- that's how I used to understand grasped. It's not understood or comprehended. It means literally to be grabbed at or grasped at. So like the apple. Yeah, like 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 making a uh, like a military coup. Like exactly. You're trying, you're trying to make a grasp at the throne. Or exploited, I think is the best translation. Oh. Because remember, Jesus is Jesus Christ equal to God? Yeah. It's not something he has to grab, right? Or or grasp at or anything. It's it's something that he chose not to exploit. He is God. Oh. There's no there's no I'm not going to take that. I'm not going to have access to this. I'm going to deny myself this. I mean, he can't deny his own nature. Yeah. Jesus is God. But he doesn't count that divinity as something to be again, I think the better translation is exploited. At beaten up, you know, he could have yeah. said, "I'm God. Don't you guys realize what boneheads you are?" Yeah. I am God, you know, yeah. and start shooting people with lightning. He didn't do that. Rather, what? He, kenosis, he emptied himself. And he took the form of a slave, becoming human in likeness and found human in appearance. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I mean, I, I whenever I teach Philippians, I always have to remind students, I mean, think of this. God, the God who is, the God who always was, who holds all things in existence at all times, became a human baby. Which is remarkable. I remember when I was first a parent, I was terrified of dropping Lily because I was just sure that I was going to, you know, Annie was going to be away and I was going to drop her and I was going to do something terrible and cause life, you know, lifelong things. It was just a horrifying thing to hold a baby for the first time. Yeah, I still kind of freak out holding babies. It's a freaky thing. So is it possible that Jesus could have been dropped as an infant? Yeah. It's certainly a possibility. I mean, he actually makes himself, he succumbs to that. God, the God who is, becomes the kind of creature who needs his diaper changed because he poops his pants. I mean, do you ever just think about that? I mean, that's profound. God, the God who is, you can see why the angels rebelled. The God who is poops his pants and needs it changed. He becomes a baby for Pete's sake. I, I, I just think it's mind-blowing. It is mind-blowing. And not only that, not only does he become a human, he takes the form of a slave, a lowly human at that. Becoming in human likeness, found human in appearance, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So if that's not low enough, he goes even lower to die on a cross. Now, what sort of people died on a cross? Rebels, uh, 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 robbers, thieves. Not robbers worst. and thieves. Not not petty robbers and petty thieves. Only the first group that you mentioned. Crucifixion was reserved for people guilty of, what did you say? I don't know. Treason. Oh, treason. Rebellion against the empire. Oh, really? Those who want to rebel. Now, who is Philippians being written to? 
the patriarch, the, the defenders of the kingdom. The defenders of the kingdom, of the empire. Of the empire And of you're Rome. telling those people, the biggest, the ones who sacrificed, who poured everything out for the great empire of Rome and Caesar Augustus, who've given everything and are now reaping the benefits in this beautiful coastal community with no Ooh. taxes. You're telling them, hey, you need to follow and be like someone who is guilty of the most heinous crime that you could ever imagine. Oof. It's like saying you need to bow down and worship somebody who's accused of the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Worship someone who, I'm, I'm trying to think of... of it's, an, in an analogous in way. An anal- yeah, don't misunderstand me. I'm just trying to think of an analogy that would hold for a group like that. Who's the worst political military enemy you can imagine? It, it That's would, who you should follow. It, it would be like telling um, uh, prison wardens that you're going to worship somebody who is electrocuted on the chair. Right. Exactly. That's you, it. You're like, what? Like, worse than that. But, but even, but even that, further, but it, which is a, a Guantanamo it, guard that he has to worship someone who they've put to death. Yeah. Like it's just, that sort of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just so over the top. That kind of lowliness. And then there's a turn in the phrase, right? There's a turn in the, in the literature. Becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. It says, and the art translation says, because of this. In the Greek, it says, therefore, un, which therefore, I had a literature professor or teacher who always said, whenever you see therefore, you have to ask, what is it there for? Oh, what is it? it there for? But a therefore is always a hinge. Whenever therefore appears, it's always a hinge. So because he was obedient to death, even the death on the cross, therefore, this is when the pendulum swings, God, and the word in Greek is literally God super exalted him. He was super mega exalted because of that. Only because of his absolute emptying and giving up of himself, exalted, super exalted, and bestowed on him the name that's above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend, including whose? Those on heaven and on earth. So if you're a resident of Philippi and you're being told that every knee shall bend and every tongue will confess, including whose tongue? Yours. And who else's? Who do you hold highest above everyone else? Caesar. Caesar Augustus himself. Even he will have to bend. Because because of what? Because of what? Because of this emptying. Because, because of, of the emptying. Because of the cross. Because of the most ugly thing that you could ever imagine, Philippians. Because of that. This is looking at the serpent, <laughs> looking at the cause of the suffering, and having it bring you back to life. This is it staring you in the face. I mean, imagine being bitten or having your, your mom or your brother bit by one of these serpents and died. And then being told, oh, that thing that killed your most beloved family member, look at it now and you'll be brought back to life. I don't want to look at that thing. I hate that thing. It killed my, you know, it it caused this damage. Yeah. But no, that thing is going to bring you back to life. That's what Philippians is doing. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It's what's so hard about it is, is it's, it's. It's like profoundly challenging in a way yep. that um, that uh, the the humanity inside of us rebels, and I think that that's where rightly it's, so. Where it's like it's like a Ford Taurus. Somebody was driving a Ford Taurus and ran over my mom, and you, and like like th- this is the thing is is it it's even worse than that. Even worse than a Ford Taurus. That's the tagline. <laughs> <laughs> that's even worse than a Ford Taurus. <laughs> but but it, it, it's like inside of us we are like it's yeah. it's so easy to to um have a, a part of us calcify to, yeah. to to just like totally um harden towards the, that reality and that's where this this kenosis is it's it's actually beautiful but that's also the the deep lesson of the of the of our entire lives yeah that's the, the this is what's riddles the every saint's life is that they suffer period everyone yep. everybody got to suffer everybody rich got and poor to suffer. got to suffer and I have like a nose. Don't. Like I have like a something tickling my nose. It's like a. It's like my my. <laughs> Is my, it a microphone? My, my mustache hair or something Sick. like that. I'm sorry. That's gross. I just didn't mean to. I'm suffering, and I just wanted you guys to share in it. Let's I'm, hold up your nose hair on a stick and look at it to bring us life. <laughs> sorry. Deal. That was weird. Yeah, that was a really weird one, man. I like yeah. it. Do you? Yo, dude, come on. Oh, li- oh yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 baby. All right. We should go to John. I'll, or to Nick. Ademus. Mm. Ah. All right. We got to back Wait, up a little that's bit. That's a horrible noise. We do that often. <laughs> do we? <laughs> no one's ever complained about it yet. Well, if you guys like that don't, noise, don't tell sample us. it and use it in a oh, song for percussion. Sick. All right. Nicodemus. We got to back up a little bit here. This starts in verse 13, but we got to back up to the beginning of chapter 3 in John's gospel. We meet this guy named Nicodemus, right? 
This week also contains the football verse, right? The football? John 3.16. Oh, yeah, John 3.16, it does. The OIC of football games. So um, backing up to chapter 3, it begins this way. Back it, it up, says, back it up. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this, so, okay, first of all, the, he was a Pharisee, this Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, which means he was a big, he was important, right? He was a ruler, he's a Pharisee, he's learned, he's got political power. Whenever John, now John's not anti-Semitic, Semitic. We, you we know, know we've talked about this before, but when he uses the term the Jews, quote unquote, it always has negative connotations. Now, again, before you jump on us, John is Jewish. Jesus is Jewish. These people are all Jewish. He's not using an anti-Semitic term, but he's using kind of this code language. Mm-hmm. When you see the Jews in that in that specific formula, it always is people who are against Jesus or who are out to get Jesus or are skeptical of Jesus, right? So this guy's a leader of that group who happens to be out to get Jesus. And it said, this man came to Jesus by night. And he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. It's interesting that Nicodemus, this ruler, comes to Jesus by night. Mm. Um, and you you alluded to this at the beginning, but remember how John's gospel begins? He begins with that long kind of discourse in chapter one. He says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness, what? Do you remember? Had no place in it or something. It's what most translations say is the darkness has not overcome it. Oh, the yeah, light yeah. shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That's actually not what the Greek says. And I love the Greek translation here. And again, this is in chapter one. John begins by saying the light shines in the darkness and the darkness, literally what it means is the darkness cannot comprehend it. The darkness Ew. cannot comprehend it. It's not just that it hasn't overcome it, but it, ha- it, it literally can't understand. It can't comprehend what Jesus is doing. And Nicodemus lives this out perfectly because he comes to Jesus by night. Jesus is the light that yeah. enlightens every man. Um, Nicodemus is a man who comes in darkness and cannot comprehend. And he goes on, they kind of are going back and forth in this discussion. And Jesus is telling oh. him spiritual realities. Nicodemus just isn't getting it. He's thinking in earthly realities. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see it? It's yeah, kind of yeah, fascinating. Yeah. Well, I mean, even when you look at the, the word ordering in the Greek, it yes. says in the darkness shines. Yeah. And then, and the darkness, it has not overtook. Yes. So it's like, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And then, and yeah. then this is actually the exact pattern that we're seeing in Nick. Exactly. Cause they, they go into this thing and. Uh, you're a great teacher, blah, blah, blah. Jesus says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nick, so he's talking about the spiritual reality. He's talking about baptism. Or he's, he's, at least he's going to be. Unless he's born anew, he can't see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is like, how can a man be born again when he's old? He was already born. Does he have to go back into his mom's womb? <laughs> so, you know, he's like, you're not comprehending yeah, this. Yeah. You're clearly not getting it. Yeah, yeah. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot be born in the kingdom of God. Water and the spirit, of course, that we see that as baptism. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Da, da, da. Uh, do not marvel that I said you must be born. The wind blows where it will. Nicodemus in verse 9, he said to him, how can this be? And so he still isn't comprehending it, right? Now, here's here's where it gets interesting. Nicodemus Ooh, said on. to him, what? Tauta genisthai. Yeah. Is that um is that more akin to the Benedictus or the or the Mag- uh, Mary's response or Elizabeth's response? How can these things be? How can it? How can this be if I I have not Zachariah's known Zachariah's response? Zach- is, is it Zachariah's response? Zachariah's response, not Elizabeth. Elizabeth doesn't say much. Sorry, yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, it's Zachariah. So that's what you're thinking. Of. Yeah, yeah. So remember, Zachariah and Elizabeth in Luke's gospel seem to say something similar when the angel says, "Hey, this thing's gonna happen." Zechariah, though, is questioning that it could actually happen. Like, there's no yep. way. How can that be? Mary is questioning the mechanics. Okay, how is this going to happen? Yep. I'm presuming it's going to happen, but how? Because I haven't known man, right? Zechariah is like, I don't get yep. it. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's akin to Zechariah. And Jesus' response, I think, is really interesting. Jesus answered, verse 10, are you not, now what our translations say is, are you not a teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand this? What it actually says in Greek, it's a different um, article. It says, are you not the teacher of Israel? In other words, you're, a, you're probably the most important teacher Israel has. Nicodemus, I think, is a lot more important than we sometimes give it credit for. Are you not the teacher of Israel? Are you not the most learned man? The teacher, But you wow. don't get it. And then he changes from the you, he, he changes in verse 11 from talking to Nicodemus to um, in terms of plural. 
And he begins to say, okay, now <laughs> you all need to understand these things. Amen, amen. Uh, and then verse 13 is where we pick it up. Jesus said to Nicodemus, no one has gone up to heaven unless, un, except the one who has come down from heaven, the Son of Man. Because remember, Nicodemus, who isn't really comprehending what the Lord is trying to do, is just trying to under, well, yeah, here, we, let's back it up one more second. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, we, that is me and John the Baptist, if you read it in context about what John is doing, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we've seen, but you don't receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe it if I tell you heavenly things? So he's talking about being born again and water in the spirit. He's thinking earthly terms. He doesn't get it. And he's like, how can you understand if I begin to tell you about heavenly things, which is apparently what you want to know. And that's where he says, no one has ascended into heaven, but the one, but he who descended from heaven, the son of man, in other words, me. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. He says, he's giving this, this great teaching that you don't understand how do I say this? I'm at a loss for words, Sam. I'm not doing very well. No, no, you're, you're, it, you're doing you're doing great. I mean, it, part of what's happening here, I mean, like, it, just to put it in context, is Paul Paul talks about um, the Jews wanting signs and the Greek demanding wisdom. Right. A sign is this. Jesus is actually saying, I am giving you a sign. Yeah. Like, like well, it, I will it, give you a sign. He's saying, if you don't trust me in earthly things, how can you trust me in heavenly things? And right. that's actually where we understand the sacramental reality to come right. in is, is, right. is it's actually an outward sign physically instituted by Christ that conveys grace. So, yep. we're, so we're here and, and that's where like, he's saying, trust me. He's like, and, and you're, you're thinking in earthly terms, but actually we're going to talk about heavenly things, but they're still going to be rooted in earthly ways. Yeah, and the the beauty of this, I mean, so, I mean, we're left in the story with Nicodemus just not getting it. He's like, what are you talking about? And then there's silence, and Jesus goes into a monologue. The beauty of this is that Nicodemus is actually going to show up later on. Later in chapter 7, he's going to show back up, and he's, have gone, he's, he's gone through a transformation. He actually gets it. It takes a while, but he'll come back around. He's not under the cover of night anymore. He's not not comprehending. He's actually, remember, I think he's fighting with the other Pharisees saying, no, this guy's legit. We actually have to listen to him. So John's beautiful because we actually see the other side of the story. Yeah. But I'm trying to start where we're, we've gone pretty long, but I, just to summarize this, and I want your last thoughts. Because this is the feast of the exaltation of the cross. Here's the thing, though. Here's what I'm coming back to, and this is what I wanted to say from the beginning about the nature of, of why this works. Um you know, we had in the news recently that whole Joel Osteen thing, you know, the megachurch guy and his wife his wife said something dumb. And I mean, but Joel Osteen, I mean, and, and this his whole ilk, this idea of the health and wealth gospel, which is so popular in our country. You know, if you just follow Jesus, then everything's going to be great and you're going to be happy and you're going to have success and you're going to have a nice car and a beautiful wife and all this stuff. Right. As long as you just do all the right things and believe it then everything's going to be super, right? That's yeah. kind of the, the message of this whole school of Christianity, which is not the message of the gospel. No. It's not the message of Jesus. It has never been the message of the church. The only thing Jesus promises us is that if you follow me, you're going to have the cross. Yes. So here's the thing. Here's the thing that I like to think about. When Jesus rose from the dead on the, on the third day and he appears to the apostles, remember there's that story of Thomas. We had this a couple months ago. But he appears to Thomas. Well, he appears to the apostles. Thomas missed it because he was somewhere else. He comes back later. He's like, well, I'm not going to believe it unless I can stick my hands through, uh, my fingers through the holes in his hands. Yeah, now, T. Diddy had some problems. T. Diddy had some, some issues. Uh, some ish. <laughs> it's weird that T. Diddy wanted to stick his hands through the holes. I just think that's creepy because that's gross. Yeah. It's even weirder that Jesus still had the holes, right? I, mean, I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast before. Isn't that much? I mean, if you were going to design the, he's got a resurrected body. He's going through walls. He's appearing to people. He's floating around. I mean, he's the glorified, resurrected, transformed, transfigured body that can do anything, including pass through walls. And for some reason, Jesus chose on his glorified, resurrected, beautiful, magnificent body that there were still gaping holes in his hands and his feet and his side. Isn't that weird? That in a glorified body, you would still maintain these holes and what that tells me i can i can suspend sus, uh, suspend what i understand them to be to understand the weirdness of that because it is because, you, if you're hearing this for the first time yes exactly like, what 
Why would you do that? And I mean, the, the nature is that we don't have this God who, if you follow him, he's just going to wipe away all the pain and he's going to clear away all your hurt and all your baggage and all your sin and all the stuff from the past. No, that's actually not the God we believe in. We have a God who actually kept the holes because the very thing that were the cause of his pain and suffering and torture were the thing that we can now look to and receive life. And now, just like the serpent that we look to to receive life from the very thing that caused our death, now we hang crosses from our, you know, above our doors and our necks and our windshield wipers, <laughs> not windshield wipers, yeah, yeah. rearview mirrors or whatever it is, right? So the thing, the very thing that was the sign of death, we don't, and we don't, you know, we keep the corpus on the cross as Catholics, which I never got, you know, before I understood the Catholic faith, because we understand this. No, we don't just have a God who's going to wipe away all the bad. And he's, get, he's actually going to take the hurt in your life and the damage and the bad places that you've been and the things that have hurt you. And if you give those things to him, he will actually transform those into the very things that will bring life. I mean, the, 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 and well, this, this is the thing that this, this is the profound connection that we need to have between understanding what was with the seraph serpents and the raising up of the serpents in yeah. the desert and the raising up of Jesus. Yes. It's saying, give me over, give this to me and saying, I will speak through this. Yeah. I will actually communicate to you through this thing that you think is the worst thing that could possibly happen, which yeah. is a bunch of snakes coming into your camp and biting <laughs> your friends. Which is pretty rough. It's pretty rough. But give this to me. Even allow me to have this level. And yeah. if you let this speak from my heart, then yeah. I will let everything speak. And you will actually enter into a sacrament. You'll enter into the fourth dimension. You will yeah. end up into a place where you are grasping that this entire world is trying yeah. to convey grace. The God is truly sovereign. He has it all in his hands in, in, the, yes. in the most profound way. But that's what the education of the seraph serpents is. Yeah. That, um, the, and that Jesus even takes the pain and the suffering that came out of that event to himself. None of this is actually apart from his heart. And that's where... We, um, right. we, we're actually, we need to be able to recognize the cross in our lives as not a punishment in what we would consider just a, some sort of arbitrary thing, but that in fact, it is a conveying of grace if we surrender it to the father and if we, we surrender it to Jesus, because that's, well, that's actually where John says, he says, he reveals the inner heart of God for thus loved God, the world. So as the son of that he gave so that everybody yeah. who would believe him would not perish. We know the inner life of God in this moment. Yes. I don't want a God who's just going to, you know, we'll just wipe away all the pain. You can forget that whole part of your life. Yeah. No, I want a God that's actually going to transform everything and say, I've always had my hand in this. And now look at what I'm going to do with it. Yes. Uh, that's good news. Yeah, I think. It is. And so, I think that's all we got. That's all we got for today. All right, everybody. We'll be back next week. Have a wonderful feast of the exaltation of the cross. Don't be afraid of the cross. We'll see you at the cross. <laughs> <laughs> Take up your cross daily. I'm going to cut you off. Okay. <laughs>